0: This situation He took a pitch in the back He got beamed For crying out loud We used heart attack Please. Managers on a Major League Baseball team Don't make decisions don't Credibility in this situation Is worse than losing your job <laughs> Was it over with The Germans Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration Of the Major League Baseball managers We know it Ask me about my win Just five days ago Major League Baseball Had two Proven World Series championship managers with the first name of Joe. Both are no longer at their respective posts. Just five days after Joe Girardi was relieved of his duties as the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Joe Madden, who won the World Series with the Chicago Cubs in 2016, was let go. A couple of little takes on this. I believe that the proven Major League Baseball manager... Um, You're seeing so few of them throughout the sport. You've heard me talk over the last couple of years about the emphasis on not only analytics, but information being processed through people outside of the dugout. You know, the front office, the information and data that's put together sets up the game plan for the manager to lead. And the ability for somebody like a Billy Martin or a Lou Pinella. Or an Earl Weaver or a Sparky Anderson, and I think of those type of managers because when I you sensed that they were behind the bench, you knew that they had a very strong impact on the game. There wasn't a lot of data thrown their way. The whether the team won or lost, a lot of it had to do with the the tactical things that they either did or they didn't do. Now Billy Martin, you know, would lead his team for the most part. Added a seller or into a victory formation. You know, look at what he did with the Twins in 1969. You know, the Rangers, the Tigers took the Tigers to the playoffs in 1972. And obviously he inherited a very good Yankees team, which is where he wanted to be all along. But think of the Oakland Athletics. The Oakland Athletics who pretty much sold off their entire roster um, throughout the latter part of the 70s, 70s, one of the best. Teams up and down, you think of Vita Blue and Raleigh Fingers and Ken Holzman, but most importantly, Reggie Jackson and, uh, you know, Gene Tennis, Burke Campanaris, Joe Rudy, Billy North. The the depth that they had in that team and the decision by Charlie Finley saying, hey, free agency, these players are going to make a lot more money, you know, F this, I'm getting out of here. And the massive sale of the great Oakland Athletics team and the players, you know, was underway. But Billy Martin in 1980, 1981, took a team that didn't have a lot of talent, um, was very young, and got them playing at a high level. And the, the reason that I bring this up is because there's always this dream scenario that happens when a manager is let go in Major League Baseball. And a lot of times it's when it happens during the season. You expect a jump start. You expect a little bit of a... I don't know if it's a little bit of uh, you know nerves inside you that are just kind of happening uncontrollably, but the Phillies won a handful of games in a row after they let Joe Girardi go. I would expect the same for the Angels. You know, the Angels played the Red Sox and then they played the a Mets this weekend. I w- I would expect them to kind of come out and play their best baseball. And the reason that I believe that that's going to happen is, you know, the players for the most part support these guys that are behind the dugout. Um, sometimes there's tension. You hear there's a little bit of tension with the Miami Marlins right now. And, you know, Don Mattingly, one of the uh, probably more respected people throughout Major League Baseball. So you figure he's not the center of the problem. But, you know, in the end, you know, these players do look up and respect the person that is in charge, especially if it's somebody like Joe Girardi, especially if it's somebody like Joe Madden, especially if it's somebody like Don Mattingly not only you know their track record as a manager, but their respect throughout the baseball community as people. And the players who know that ultimately, because of the contracts that they signed and the amount of money that they're owed by their respective teams, they're not going to be the ones to lose their job over poor play. There's got to be a little bit of sympathy or remorse when their respective manager gets fired and loses their job. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be a fact. You know, the Phillies, who probably supported Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi's track record, you know, he's put in a spot where the Phillies are expected to win. They don't win. Joe Girardi loses their job, and these players still have to go out there and play baseball the next day. There is sympathy for the manager that just lost his job, and these players are going to have an un- Probably an unprecedented amount of energy that's going to come their way, and they'll probably will play their best baseball because you know what they know they just cost their manager their job, and the same thing is going to happen with the Angels right now. But the other element and the most important thing that I wanted to touch on when it comes to, you know, the manager in baseball, is the veteran manager, who you saw kind of make a comeback a little bit. You know, Joe Madden continuously managed in baseball since. He got the job with the Rays in what year was it? I think it was 2006. So he went from the Rays, you know, eventually to the Cubs, and of course to the Angels after that. You know, Joe Girardi was out of the game for a little while after the Yankees let him go. Buck Showalter with the Mets right now, you you know, it was two, three years. He was out of the game. So some baseball traditionalists have a feeling that, hey, maybe the older manager is coming back. But the older managers that do come back, the ones that have the respect throughout the game, the one that have the track record—you know—if you're going to put your resume on Indeed and say, "Listen, I—you managed in baseball for a long time. that would qualify you to be a major league manager?" We think that that's a good thing. But I'm looking in two examples where it wasn't such a good thing, and that manager was probably under more scrutiny than. The manager that wouldn't have had any experience prior to getting the job, and I think that's a big difference in the game right now. Yes, you could celebrate the fact that there's that 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 there's managers that are coming back, you know, that have experience, you know, that have been in a game for a little while, and you're glad that you're seeing maybe. And I'm not going to say retreads because you know both Girardi and Madden won, won themselves a World Series championship there by by no. Stretch of the imagination, a retread, but you know, they end up getting their job because of the experience that they have. They've been in a game a while, they have the respect throughout Major League Baseball front offices, but most importantly, players. Players love playing for Joe Madden. You'll see a lot of players that said that they, they liked playing for Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi's a little more intense, um, he's not afraid to be confrontational with players, which you know, what you could lose a locker room with that sometimes. But when it comes down to it, the Major League Baseball manager would experience, you figure they would get a longer leash. The opposite of that is happening. Joe Girardi picks up the job with the Philadelphia Phillies a couple years ago with a team that had a lot of talent, was expected to win. We're in year three. The Phillies haven't seen any winning or enough winning, and Joe's out of a job. Joe Madden comes over from the Cubs an Angels team that is disappointed for the better part of a decade. You think about the whole Mike Trout curse and the fact that he's basically been the best player in the game for the last you know 10 or so years, and the Angels have been in the playoffs one time in 2014. That's not Joe Madden's fault. Joe Madden's not responsible for Mike Trout's career and the fact that uh, his team, since Mike has been there, have only been in the playoffs one year. That's an organizational thing. You know They've been through a couple general managers. The owner's still been there. You know, Mike Socha was their manager forever. You know, it was kind of run out. You brought Brad Ausmus in there for one year, let him go, replaced him with Joe Madden, And a similar thing to, to Joe Girardi. The Angels didn't win. The Angels got off to a good start. And, you know, I mentioned as one of the topics on my to show, uh, first time in baseball history, the Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, and Angels were all in first place at the same time. And if you're an Angels fan, you think that was eons ago. Do You figure that was forever ago. You know, the Angels go out there and they lose 12 straight games. It's, you know, demoralizing. And, it, you know, it makes you think it could happen to any team. You know, the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers sitting there, you know, driving their Cadillacs, living in a lap of luxury right now in first place in their respective divisions. Well, you know what? You could go through a bad stretch. There is some parity in baseball, and I think there's a has made a little bit of a comeback in baseball this year. Have you watched the Pirates play baseball? Have you watched the Orioles play baseball? Two teams that were expected to really be cellar dwellers, and they still very well may be, but they're playing competitive baseball. They got a chance when they're playing some good teams. So, you know, the parity that's back in baseball, I think, leads anybody to think that even the best teams can go through a rough time. And you're looking, you're looking at, at you know, situations in Philadelphia. And with the Angels, certainly the Angels, the first-place team, it seemed like, just a couple weeks ago, they were the cream of the AL West, and Joe Maddon's not there. But the reason is, is the more proven track record you have as a Major League Baseball manager now, the more you're going to be scrutinized. The more when a team hires you, whether it's uh, Perry Minion, or whether it's uh, Dave Dombrowski or Sam Fold, they bring you in there as the manager with your experience, your track record, you're expected to win. Sometimes it's not possible. The Philadelphia situation, I thought, was a little, little bit of a tough one. You got a team that's centered around offense. Yes, their starting pitching, I think, is good. I think they got a good starting pitching staff. Not a great one. Zach Wheeler's an ace. Aaron Nola, to me, last couple of years, he hasn't pitched. Like a number one, but he's a solid number two or three in your rotation. You got Zach Eflin and Kyle Gibson, and I give Joe Girardi some credit for the development of Ranger Suarez. I think they got five good starters there. The problem with the Phillies is defense. They don't play any defense whatsoever. They're like the Brooklyn Nets of Major League Baseball. You got Bryce Harper, Muto, Castellanos, Schwarber, Reese Hoskins. They're supposed to bludgeon the ball to death. And in a time where offense is a little bit down in baseball, teams that are offensive-centric are going to have to do some other things. And that means the Phillies at some point have to catch the ball. But that, to me, ain't Joe Girardi's fault. He didn't assemble that team. Joe Girardi's trying to put Roman Quinn in for defense because he knows that Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber can't be counted on to catch the ball late in the game. And you know maybe Roman Quinn makes a catch that one of the other guys wouldn't make. But the bullpen blows the lead and Roman Quinn's spot comes up in the batting order, then it doesn't look very good. But I look at, and the most important point I want to make about this, as you watch the Angels drop their 13th straight game, first with their new manager, first without Joe Girardi, I mean uh, Joe Joe Madden, the proven manager I think gets less of a leash than the manager with no experience. Phil Nevin, Rob Thompson. Yeah, you I know, think of uh, you know uh, Pat Murphy when he uh, took over the what was it was it the the Padres that one year. Yeah, you, know, you you look at guys that come in with no major league baseball manager experience. You say, hey, you know, if they do well, then maybe he's got a career for himself. Look at Brian Snicker with the Braves. If 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 the Braves didn't have a lot of success and win consistently and of course eventually win a world series championship like they did in 2021 brian snicker wouldn't be there for long and when you look at brian snicker and say hey he's a world series championship manager does that make him a great manager well it kind of puts him on a in a different echelon a different pedestal yes ned yost won a, a, a world series championship mayo smith won a world series championship joe Altabelli won a world series championship does that make them great managers Hank Bauer won a World Series championship as a manager. Johnny Keene. Johnny Keene was fired after winning a World Series with the 1964 St. Louis Cardinals because he won a World Series championship, got the job with the proven winners, the New York Yankees, and the Yankees started probably their worst stretch in the history of their franchise. Now you could disagree. You could say the worst stretch in their franchise history was somewhere between the years of uh, you know 1980 and 19 what 94, 93. And remember, the Yankees won more games than any team in Major League Baseball in a decade of the 1980s. So for those of you that are like, oh, the the dreaded years of the nineteen eighties with the Yankees. They were pretty bad in '89 and '90 90 and '91, a little bit of '92, but most of the '80s they were winning 85 to 90 games, finished in second place in the American League East. Which, by the way, the expanded playoff formats, the way it's set up, they'd be in the playoffs the majority of the time, and maybe they maybe they get to another World Series or two and, and win a couple. But you know, to me, that's the furthest from the point that I'm trying to get at here. You know, you're seeing more. Um, You know, less decision makers and more instruction followers taking jobs as Major League Baseball managers. And if you're a good bench coach, I think that's a good prerequisite to becoming a Major League Baseball manager because you process a lot of information and you gotta be a good listener. You gotta handle data pretty well. And the data which continues to come through the front office um, onto the field and determining the moves that are made within the game You know, the Joe Girardi's, the Joe Madden's, even the Buck Showalter's. And listen, a lot of people are out there wanting to give credit to Buck Showalter. I I have no issue with it. I give Buck a ton of respect. He's done a great job in that clubhouse with the Mets. I think part of it is some of the players that have been brought in there. I think there's a little bit of a change in a clubhouse culture with the different players that are there that have blended a little bit better than the players of 2021. And Buck deserves credit for that. But to say that Buck is... Managing this team, making all these decisions, yeah, he's processing the data well. Um, at some point, the Mets are going to lose some games, and if they do, does it look like Buck's not doing his job? Let's say the Mets drop thirteen games in a row; could happen. Like I said, parity exists in baseball. You know, the Mets are playing good teams the majority of the time. They've played, you know, they've won the majority of their series. If you, if you look at it, I think there's just a what the the two series, one against the Giants, one against the Mariners, that they lost all season long. They even split the Dodger series. So at some point, I think they're going to go back. You know, the bell curve kind of flattens out, and they'll have some rough times. You know, certain. You know, it doesn't, have, it doesn't mean they have to get to five hundred, but you know, this thought that Buck Showalter um, is is uh, changing the whole curve when it comes to. The perception of Major League Baseball managers, I don't know. How much do you quantify what Buck has done in that dugout, uh, in that locker room, and within that team? How much of an impact is he having on the day to day uh, decisions and the the inning by inning decisions that are made over the course of the game? And he's going to take all the credit for it. You know, he's got his bench coach, Glenn Sherlock, who's running information back and forth between. Uh, The analytics staff in the front office, uh, the iPads are saying, hey, you know, the hitters are playing here. You know the manager has no control over the defensive positioning. The defensive positioning is set on cards, and you know the manager says to the center fielder, hey, move a couple steps to the right. He sticks up his middle finger and says, I'm going where the card says. You're not my boss. That's major league baseball defense now. There's no manager in baseball that has any control over that. But listen, I like what Buck has done. But the you know the reason that everybody's or a lot of people are high on Buck Showalter is the Mets are winning. And you look at a team that is in first place by more games than anybody in baseball right now. Um, you start to kind of believe that the team is good. It doesn't look like they're doing a lot of stuff in mirrors, like I think you saw last year. Certainly, you saw at the beginning of what, what is it the 2018 season, Mickey Callaway's first year when the Mets went 11 and one. To start the season, it just didn't seem real. It seemed like Fagazi, Fagazi, you know, a little bit like that. So I was thinking about the uh, Utah Jazz and the decision by Quinn Snyder, their head coach, to walk away. And I think, you know, you look at something and you say, hey, from a national basketball perspective, You you think in NBA Finals, Warriors, Celtics. To me, I think these are really the two best teams in the Finals. You got two deep teams, two teams that play defense. Um, A series that I expect to be very competitive as we get set for game three. You know, am I going to spend any time or is it any time necessary to talk about the Utah Jazz? And the Utah Jazz, listen, they're not a huge national team. They're not L.A., they're not Boston, they're not New York. Um, you know, certainly not, you know, they don't have the star powers, the, uh, you know, guys like Steph Curry, but you know, you look at the jazz and they've been a very consistent team over the last five or so seasons, a team that, you know, you've, you've taught, you've heard about some disgruntlement or issues between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. I don't believe as much into it. Now, you, now listen, this could be a whole story. There could be a legitimate beef between the two star players on that team. But a lot of it centered around, you know, COVID and Rudy Gobert touching all the microphones and everything and then getting di- diagnosed with the coronavirus. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell apparently, amongst other players, were not happy about that. That was actually out in the public. And sometimes I think the media takes certain things... So I, I I think I think the media likes to blow stuff up and say, hey, there is a story, there's a beef between the two players, and maybe there is, maybe they don't like each other. But like uh, Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins said the other day, you're not always going to like your teammates, you're not always going to get along with your teammates. You know that you're out there with the unified goal of trying to win. You know, and in this case, we're talking about basketball. I'm pretty sure any differences that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have, they could check it at the door when they come into the stadium because they gel pretty well on the court together. They play pretty good basketball together on the court. In fact, the Utah Jazz, from probably about a 1-8 through eight or 1-9 through nine grouping, won out a pretty good, consistent team. The only problem is the Jazz, over the last handful of seasons, have been... Anywhere between a 3 and a 6 seed, they're guaranteed if they don't lose in the first round, they're going to lose in the second round. And they haven't been as good as those other upper echelon teams in the Western Conference of the National Basketball Association. And obviously you've watched the Western Conference over the last year or so go from being a very deep conference to a not-so-deep conference. You had the Los Angeles Lakers at 13 games over under five hundred this past year competing within the last couple games to to play in a play-in tournament. You had multiple teams get into the playoff, playoff tournament, the play-in tournament. The New Orleans Pelicans getting in there as the eighth seed with a losing record. The depth of the Western Conference is not what it was before. And the Utah Jazz, they're kind of still stagnant. You know, Dallas kind of took that step when they made it to the Western Conference Finals. Good for now. That's kind of where... Utah envisioned itself. Uh, I think it's where the Denver Nuggets envisioned themselves. If you heard their owner, the expectation is that they're going to compete for a championship next year, especially getting Michael Porter and Jamal Murray back. And obviously you got Jokic, you know, the, the great player that he is, the two-time MVP. And the Jazz have never taken that step. I think the decision made by the head coach, which, by the way, you're talking about a coach that's well-respected throughout the sport, not just through his own players, but throughout the league. There's places like New York and L.A. that are like, hey, if this guy frees himself up, we'd love him to take over and be our head coach. And he walks away, he abruptly resigns. I think that hurts him. And I lose a little respect for Quinn Snyder, who inherited a team now, listen, the team hasn't changed that much. And maybe it's time for a little bit of a revolution down there in Utah. Maybe it's time for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert maybe to go their separate ways. I, I don't disagree with that completely. But it's, gonna, it's kind of uh, exacerbated or quickened by the decision by Quinn Snyder to walk away. And I think he bailed on this team. And is he going to get another job in the NBA? Sure, if he wants to. Uh, I mean, any any opening that's out there, I'm sure there's teams that are considering firing their head coaches to go out there and hire Quinn Snyder. He's a well-respected coach. But I think it's a little bit of a disappointment to that team that has busted their ass the last couple years. Yes, they can't get over the hump. And instead of sitting there saying, hey, I'm going to be there with you and fight with you, yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me of some of the things you see in a world of college football and college basketball. You know, coaches have success in, in some cases, smaller schools, but in other cases, less nationally renowned schools. You know, Mario Cristobal goes from Oregon to Miami. You know, Brian Kelly goes from Notre Dame to LSU, and you're talking about really good programs that they're leaving and the kids that are there. They say, this is how much the coach thinks of us. He said he was in our corner. He said that he was the first one in the defense mechanism as we go to uh, virtual war with the opposition, and he's bailing on us. This is how little he thinks of us. I think you think of the same thing when it comes to Quinn Snyder and the Utah Jazz. And some people may say, well, the Utah Jazz... They're not a national team. They're not the Celtics. They're not the Lakers. They're not the Knicks. And the NBA and the whole hope that the major markets are involved. And he got Boston in California in the finals. And there's this thought that, hey, Donovan Mitchell, maybe he goes to the Knicks and the Knicks get better and the league gets better. I don't know if the league is so centric around its major cities anymore. You know, he used to say, hey, it's all about the Lakers and the Knicks and the Celtics. You know, you've seen Golden State do the things that they do. Toronto Raptors won a championship a couple years ago. LeBron, has, you know what he did with the Heat, won a championship with the Cavs. Yes, he's with the Lakers now, but LeBron with the Lakers, and they don't make the playoffs. Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook all together. James Harden was with the Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Didn't work out well. I don't think it's more, and you look at the NBA, ESPN tries to do a good job of, uh, in in their minds, pinning the stars against each other. You know, is it Steph versus Tatum in regards to the NBA Finals? And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that does appeal to the kids. Younger basketball fans are real fans of the players. And I think it's less of a market thing in the NBA uh, as it is about the star players they love they buy the players jerseys they are big Steph Curry fans and obviously Greek Freak fans and in some cases Tatum fans but you know the big star players of the NBA I think they follow them wherever they go not necessarily whether they're playing in a big market but you know the Jazz I think you're going to expect to see a different team this year does it mean Donovan Mitchell is definitely out I don't know you know we'll see I mean, we're still in the NBA Finals. Free agency hasn't started yet. You know, the, the prospects of what the draft's going to look like. You're hearing, uh, you know, snidbits about some of the top players out there right now. That's all stuff to talk about after the Finals. I'll leave you on this. Golden State, Boston. I think it, you're looking at a seven-game series. Do I think that there's one team that has an advantage over the other? And I'd be concerned if I'm Draymond Green. I think Draymond Green is going to get thrown out of one of these games, and I've said this before, um, his continuous bitching and complaining to the officials, um, even when he's right, all it's doing is just putting a free game bullseye on his back. You know, One of these officials is going to get tired of him. He's going to get thrown out of a game, and the quarterback of their offense, the leader of their defense, is going to put that team in a rough spot. And that's why I give the advantage to the Celtics. I could see the Celtics winning in seven games, and that's going to be my pick. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwes' Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you. I think we're going to do a show on Monday, another edition of the Passball Show. You can follow the show on Spotify, on Apple Music, Amazon Music, and, of course, videos on YouTube. God bless you. And as always, i see you on the other side. Uh, Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on it in my mind. Now they come out as the biggest... Major League Baseball Manager apologists. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired Because hitters are going out there saying I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park I'm not even supposed to be here today Especially prospect whores and hoarders Are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this I'm a dude the dude another dude! There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. side of the spectrum they're on. Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at them. They put their tail between their legs they decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. Thirty-five years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.